Justin and I were in a band in high school. Okay. And there was this other band older than us, but just like they were like really, really trying really hard to be like pop famous, I guess, in like a woe is me. 90s rock supermarket shit. (laughs) There's your intro right there. Yeah, supermarket rock. (laughs) Hey, this is Rob Simone. Summer Friday is an ethos, a feeling, a chemical fit. It's also what we decided to name our marketing agency. My passion kept coming back to being able to create something and scale it and build a a brand. I mean, build something that could be national, international, that people really are, are genuinely excited about. This episode, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming on Justin Rosenberg, my lifelong friend and the founder of an amazing brand, Honey Grow a fast, casual restaurant concept that's growing incredibly fast with almost 40 locations in America. There's so much to have fun with in this episode and so much to learn from Justin. We actually decided to chop it up into two different parts. And we hope you enjoy so much. You'll be back for part two next week. Okay, you want to see something real quick? Justin, can you see my screen? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh my God, you got That's that right there in the orange hat. Now, keep in mind, this is a camcorder filming from the balcony. What else is on that camcorder, Rob? (laughs) A lot of things. Here's Justin rocking right there. Do you think you're going to attack me? (laughs) In a full-on set of long underwear, I think, and an orange hunter's hat was the uniform for that rock show. That's a, that's a fresh look. So Dan Gold, who, Justin, you're meeting right now, Dan yeah. is is like a – he's on our research team. Um, he's part researcher, part strategist, and a lot of what he does is kind of like social trends analysis and audience insights and things like that for our marketing clients. But um, he put together like a really thoughtful – outline document for this conversation and i subsequently like just made it dumb <laughs> and i just like Good. like he's adding all of these things about your story and the founding of honey grow and this interview and this that and you, all these things he wants to talk about and i'm like i'm like we love fast food and talk about taco bell and oh, just yeah. like whatever else i could think to add in there oh and then i wrote a fake intro for you which I was going to start the show in a very professional podcast way and talk about how you run the most successful taco chain in all of Chicago <laughs> and just like totally just mess up the whole thing on purpose. That's awesome. I wish I did that. But I was telling them the point of me saying all of that background was that I was telling them that you're an amazing musician um, and that you still rock out, which is, you know, great. I was never the guitar player or uh, that you were, but like you still will just like get on stage with a group and and have to learn like 10 songs on like a Thursday in the midst of everything else that you do and that's insane to me and your and your son is learning to play now which is super cool he was actually playing the day he was facetiming with a girl in third grade in this class and I heard him playing my old white Fernandez which <laughs> I gave him and he's literally like rocking making music and shit up for this girl <laughs> I was sitting in my office at home it was awesome very proud of him yeah, that's super cool. I mean, he's your he's your Padawan uh, in so many ways. It's my Padawan. But that led me to the one the one meaningful question that I put in our document, which I think I've talked to you about before, which is really this conversation that I have with a lot of people because I, I'm of I'm in one camp of 
of belief. Be interested to know sort of like where you sit, but it's the idea of balance. Mm. I remember uh, listening to someone get interviewed years ago who was taking the CEO realm of a very prominent internet company. And she was also, I believe, pregnant at the time. And some dumbass reporter was asking her about balance. How are you going to take over this troubled, troubled internet company and balance that with being a first time mom and all of this stuff? And I just loved her answer. And she just looked in this reporter in the face and totally like disarmed with the bomb and was like, there's no balance. Who told you that there was ever balance to be had as the CEO or founder and or executive of anything? So I thought that was badass. I, you are at the helm of a fast growing, very impressive company that you founded. You've been through massive amounts of trials and tribulations. You've come out on top and you're growing again as a company. In addition to that, you're an active musician. You're a member of YPO. You give back. You speak at education institutions. You got a master's degree. You're all over the place. What the fuck does balance mean for you? I, that's a really interesting quote, thinking about that. Um, and what's ironic about it is I constantly trying to figure out balance myself. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be passionate about this company. I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about getting better. So I don't know. Like I, I definitely time off like jujitsu for me is a chance to shut my brain off for an hour playing guitar. I could literally shut my brain off and just jam and learn and play and play and play. I don't know. I, I feel like at the same time, like when you're really enjoying what you do and you, you're really passionate about scaling and building something and you're surrounded by really good people, it's kind of fun. So, and when things are really hard and yeah, we went through some near death experiences a couple of times, you know, first with growing too fast back in 2017, which led to pushing pause and growth in 2018. You know, we're running out of cash. It was a really scary period of time and had to reduce the size of the organization, stop growth. We had negative press from Chicago to Philly about how maybe this concept doesn't really work at the end of the day. Um, that was a horrible period of time. But, you know, I kind of just pushed forward. I was like, all right, you know, I had two options. Like I could just quit, which is never going to happen. Or you just fucking make it happen. You're up here for a reason. Let's go. So in those moments, I found jujitsu for me personally to be really helpful because I'd wake up in the morning, maybe depressed, like not feeling good and really upset about life. I'm like, shit, I can't believe we're here. We're just doing great, like a few months ago. And after I rolled in the morning, I was so clear headed and objective and unemotional. I was like, great, here we go. So that that for me balanced was key. Um, and still doing that today, you know, just really setting your, your brain to the right tune and getting after it. It's a good answer. If you really, it I don't know how many people say they feel this way or actually feel this way, but you know, when you hear people talk about how you love what you're doing, it's a totally different situation than if you're working for some other, like a lot of people out there who are working to end up having free time someday or working to be wealthy someday. But if you enjoy what you're doing along the way, it's a totally different journey. We talk about that with the idea of like removing Sunday scaries from the equation and showing up on a Monday and actually like being pumped about it. The whole world looks different. That's cool. It's very sure. And that's, and it, it can't, it can't be every day, right? Like it can't be every day. Like you dread certain things or you have anxiety it means you care. Um, but if it's more often than not, it's, it's a game changer. And, and for you, I guess a lot of that has to do with the fact that you, you birthed this thing. It's worth spending five minutes talking about the really early 
stuff. We know the the world knows the Honey Grows story. Um, you've been in some great interviews. Um, we've read some really great stuff about you. But I love the idea. It's having known you since high school and not thinking you were going to do this when we were 18 years old, right? Not knowing what any of us were going to do. I love the image of you going around and taking these meetings with this concept. And then I think you told me when you were shopping around Honey Grove during the Great Recession, mind you, yeah. how many no's you got and it was fun. what all of that was like. Then ultimately to have somebody take a chance on you um, and give you a yes and what that meant and all of that. I'd love to have you just tell that tale real quick because I've heard it a couple times and I think it's worth having in this podcast because it's a really, really great visual for me. Yeah, I mean, thinking back in high school, you know, the path was being a, an attorney or a lawyer, obviously. Wow. You know, another Jewish kid from Long Island uh, going to law school, so or being a doctor. You know, for me, I mean, and you know this, really, Rob, better than anyone, like, I, I'm a creative at the end of the day. Like, I, I love, like, really cool creative things and stuff that, you know, my, my passion is a mix of business and creative, and being able to blend my interests, um, scale that is exciting. My undergrad, I was a history major, so more liberal arts side. I went to grad school at Temple for my day of finance. I was in finance for about you know, six years between two different places. And uh, my passion kept coming back to being able to create something and scale it and build a, a brand. I mean, build something that could be national, international, that people really are, are genuinely excited about. Um, you know, for me, I was in my mid-20s. I gained a ton of weight. Uh, I came home from college and was like, what happened to you, dude? And... Uh, Rob and I ran cross country back in the day. We were, you know, two skinny guys and Rob, Rob, you're always a muscular looking man. I was a skinny lanky dude. Rob was the captain of our cross country team leading the way. And, you know, I, I joined cross country because of Rob. Um, he got me to join and it was great. You know, you just fucking run a lot, <laughs> but I gained weight too. So I went from this 150 pound dude, started college. I graduated at 235. Wow. Um, and not a good 235. And, uh, when I was in my mid twenties, I was diagnosed with type two diabetes. My doctor's like, Hey, like your blood sugar is off the charts. Your cholesterol's up. Um, you know, we just had our first kid and he's like, you're not going to see your daughter walk down the aisle. Really, really, really freaked me out. And, uh, instead of jumping on crazy medication, I read a book, uh, T Colin Campbell's the China study, which radically changed my perception on food. Um, so I wound up going plant-based for probably like a year and a half ish, a couple years. And when, you know, my, A1C and cholesterol numbers just reversed. So I was like, all right, clearly there's a correlation of food and type of food. I mean, stuff today, when you look at it, there's just so much crap. Like I I was passing by, I really wanted to buy this confetti cake the other day. And I was like, man, that looks really good. And you look at the the side of it and it's just like this shit. I I don't know what it is. So it's like, put it back. Um, Just to pause you for a second, Dan, uh, Justin and me and our friend John, high school friends, all of us, we have a running text chain. It's always operating. It's more active always than operating. anything. I think it's always operating. <laughs> and I would say like 35 to 55% of it is pictures of food. The slice of pizza that was really badass that John got today or the thing I'm cooking or the dessert that Justin's ordering through DoorDash. And, and just to kind of put that context in there, like that uh, half of our life, it just rallies around food. Oh uh, Yeah. I mean, and it's pathetic because, like, I'm on vacation. I'll have, that's my cheat, so I'll have dessert. I'm seeing these giant banana splits. <laughs> it was so good. But, um, 
I was like not in a good state health wise. So I had to get my, my shit in order and I did, but I was making a lot of salads for lunch and the stuff that I had left over, I was putting into a wok at night, some udon or soba noodles and make a stir fry. So I was thinking like, this is really great. Um, from the business side of my brain, I'm like, you know, no one's really doing anything like this. This is 2009. You had your Shake Shacks. You had your, you know, a couple of salad guys were, were really beginning. Like Chop was in New York for a while. Sweet Green was in D.C. Um, I just didn't want to, like, salad to me was like a really great, like, lunchtime thing. But you need two-day parts to really make the thing work, in my opinion, and really to have the mass appeal. Um, a lot of Mexican concepts, obviously. So, like, what's never really been done before? And so I, I wrote a business plan. And it was for Honey Grow. Honey Grow stands for Honest Eating, Growing Local, kind of an amalgam of words. And the idea really was to be able to be urban, suburban concepts. I could roll this around the country with a really high quality level of food um, that, you know, doesn't matter what your demographic really is. You know, someone to say a Chipotle, like, if you like good food, come on in. And that really was the idea. But I wanted to do something different and not, and this is before the whole, you know, you guys are in New York, um, you know, any corner there's a bowl concept right like it's just like this version of bowl or that bowl you know it's like well how do you do something that's not another fucking grain bowl so honey grow we have our freshly made egg white noodles the same noodles that david chang gets at momofuku you know our freshly made whole wheat noodles and these are proprietary to us and we're very proud of our relationship with our, our noodle guys and that was kind of the idea so to fast forward I had a business plan i was working in washington dc on weekends for a chef buddy of mine in the kitchen going back to work on Mondays, taking the bus back up. And my, you know, my wife was very supportive and my, my coworkers were like, why is this guy such a dick on Mondays? <laughs> you know, you work fucking kitchen all weekend. And then like Sundays I'm coming home and then like, Ugh. needed to find capital. I said, this is now mid 2009. I'm like, I'll give myself to the end of 2011 to find money. I've never ran a business. I never ran a restaurant. Never really worked in a restaurant other than this. Never scaled a business. I'm going to give myself two and a half years. If I can't do it, I'm going to move back to New York. Um, work in finance or in the city and, and do fine. That was kind of my goal. And uh, really just anyone, anyone that had a pulse, I would pitch this concept to. I had a spreadsheet of people I was, I was connecting to. And you know, over the, the course of two and a half years, I finally got to 93 people. Uh, all knows. In the beginning, I was a little nervous in my pitch. And then I got more confident. Then I became kind of calloused and cynical. <laughs> and by the time I got to the 94th guy, uh, a guy named David Robkin. David, his partners with Stephen Starr. Um, David and I hit it off. And, you know, Stephen's like a genius in creating concepts. Um, and David's like, are you looking to create 40 concepts? Are you looking to create one thing to scale? And I was like, I want to create one thing and scale it. Like I, that's kind of where my brain's at. And he got excited by that and um, brought on another person, Brooklyn Fest. And um, three of us, kind of the original, um, two original investors. I was the operating partner. And uh, off to the races, found a site, Center City, Philadelphia, uh, designed it, created the kiosk technology with uh, design-wise and opened the first place up, which was a fucking disaster. First first day, we, we I had to call that night my investors the next morning, hey, we can't open tomorrow. We're not ready. <laughs> like yeah. We got smashed. Uh, you know, they were supportive. Everything was like, all right, we'll get it right. And then, yeah, it just started taking off. It's amazing. It's amazing amount of persistence. Also, amazing amount of uh, I don't know, discipline. I guess jo- get Jocko Wilnick in here right now. A little bit of discipline, I think. Um, just to say, like, I'm going to give myself this much time, and I'm going to do this. And if not, this is my plan. Like, seems so simple in hindsight, but it's so hard to do. When I mean, you had a kid. 
Like yeah. I started a business and I was like sleeping at the office and, and, and showering in a tub from 1865 <laughs> down the hall. And like, and I hadn't, you know, there was no, nothing at home to lose. Right. Like the worst thing that happened was, is like my, I would be laid on my landlord in Brooklyn and my rent, I think my rent was, was like $600 a month. So like, it was a totally different thing, but you were, you were going for it with a family and you were going for it with other people's skin in the game, which is also very anxiety provoking when you're a person who cares about those relationships. Yeah. Um, I give you a lot of credit for that. Cause, um, I like, I took a very different entrepreneurial journey, like Michael and I, and then later Michael, Sarah, Alicia and I, like we, we built a lot of things like brick by brick. You know, we were always kind of leveraging a little bit more incrementally. Like it wasn't like a leap we had to take, but it's uh, it's always interesting to to hear how calculated you were in doing that. There's a hill on Long Island where we used to run cross country races called Cardiac Hill. I'm sure every cross country runner from high school or college or whatever has their version of Cardiac, right? But this is just a pain in the ass hill that just when you think it ends it's got a, it, it bends around the corner and then it goes up again and um everyone at the beginning of this hill is just knows what's about to happen because you've practiced on the course and so you're like oh God, here we go so picturing myself at the top is fine but i actually think like with running with other things the best thing you can do is just start going mm. Just start running. Like you, I don't know how I'm gonna have you. You get to the base of cardiac after already having run a mile and a half fast because you're racing and you're tired already. And you say at the bottom of that hill, I don't know how I'm gonna get to the top of this without having to slow down. So all you do is you just start running, like, and then the rest sort of just happens, and you do what you got to do. Yeah, I know. I know a guy who was in special forces, and he would talk about when they were in their like final training. It was the guys who just like literally it was the next step and they kept taking the next step and and they made it and other people would would they they would look at the bottom of the hill and they would say i'm not gonna be able to do this so that's like that's like the the it's it's the boring part of consistency but it's just that little step is going to get you right to the end vision for sure just do it just go (laughs) i have um i have two more questions for you that are, are super serious the first one is is Bill Kerwin alive? Um, mm. I have not been able to figure that one out. And the second one is is related. How is it possible that Dave Gumbus has stayed off the grid so successfully for all of these years? This is literally the internet's most untraceable man. And mind you, he's an employee of a public school system. And somehow there's not a single picture of this guy online. He was our track and cross country coach in high school. Amazing guy. He's disappeared. Disappeared. We used to show up to practice and he used to just start practice by saying, it's a good day to die. And that was how we would start. And then sometimes he would, he would change it to, it's a good day to puke. Yes. Did people like him? Welcome. We liked him. He was great. He was a really good coach, and he knew what the fuck he was talking about. Click on this on this link I just sent. I want to see if this is him. Yeah, I'm looking through right now. He looks very young. Wow, dude, that might be him. He looks great. I saw that picture, but I didn't think that was him because he's he's older. So was was he a young guy when he was your teacher? Oh, totally. 
Columbus. That could be him. He was a very mellow, unemotional guy, except when you would do something unexpected on the track, and then he would lose his potatoes. Well, I think one time I had like the race of my life, and he did not expect me to, to expect to see me come around the corner in that position, and. I come around the corner and he goes, holy shit, Simone, holy what shit. are you doing up here? And I just remember seeing him lose his mind because I was in like third place or something. Like before practice for like a bunch of ragtag kids who knew we were going to do some really, really hard shit that day. He would just drive up in his, he had a white, bron not Bronco. What did he have? Blazer, dude. He had a white blazer. It's a good gym teacher car. He always listened to like classic rock, WBAB, Long Island stuff. And like, just roll out like, hang on loosely, don't let go. Dun, dun, dun. All right, guys, we're doing 400 meter sprints. Oh. <laughs> All right, guys, we're doing hill repeats. Oh. Let's go. Or the worst was I hit the hells. There were there were like the mile repeats, but like in the back. Eye of the Tigers. What were the Eye of the Tigers? I think the same thing. I don't know. It was all bad. Just all horrible. It's just horrible shit. Thanks so much for tuning in. There's so much more to come. Take a moment to subscribe if you haven't already. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, there's a part two to the Justin interview coming at you next week.